so what did I do? Is this a scam? <laughs> no, that, I know that name. I know she'd never do that to me. I type back, are you sure? <laughs> About 10 minutes later, oh yes. If you can't use it, I'll find someone. Oh no. <laughs> and that's how I got, and I drove that car until after I married Jenny. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to say the lady's name, but great is her reward. And just amazing. And you're like, how did that happen? And I'm sure everybody's got a story. Now, and I, I know looking around, I've heard some of your stories. I know we could spend another hour at least just, uh, well, the, that would just be the all balls. <laughs> but the, bigger, the question related to the text, though, is how many times did you get that kind of an answer and you responded like that? Yeah. Yeah. Or someone came to you with news of an answered prayer and you're like, yeah, this person's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, so we can all, here's how I pictured the conversation. They're in there praying, oh, Lord, we pray for you. Deliver Peter from prison. Hey, Peter's at the door. You're crazy. That's not even possible. Someone said, wait a minute, isn't that what we were just praying for? <laughs> so that's why I picture that going on. But then said they, look at this. How do they respond then? It is his angel. Now, uh, it evidently, it looks like they could believe his guardian angel was there, but not Peter himself. <laughs> I mean, think of that. Uh, they believed, they couldn't believe Peter was there. Oh, it's his angel. Like, that's not even a, even more amazing miracle <laughs> yeah. that it would be his angel is in their and their idea according to uh, some sources one idea of a guardian angel is that it looks and sounds like the person being guarded so uh, that's where some of the you got to be careful with the doppelganger thing because uh, we all joke about that because how many of you have seen somebody that looks a lot like you I've had people send me a picture of somebody um, and Sometimes I'm like, you're blind. <laughs> that does not look like me. One lady on a bus, everybody said, I know, you're doppelganger. And I didn't even know what that term meant when she said it. You look just like Huey Lewis. <laughs> I'm saying, lady, you need a new drug. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but I don't think I look like Huey I even had some hair, by the way, back then. But even with hair, I don't look anything like Huey Lewis. But that's the idea, is that your guardian angel is supposed to look and sound like you. And that's a, not a biblical idea, by the way. John Wesley mentioned this. It was a common opinion among the Jews that every man had his particular guardian angel. That, I don't believe, is unbiblical. Who frequently assumed both his shape and voice. I find nothing in the scripture that teaches that. And he says, John Wesley says, but this is a point on which the scriptures are silent. Meaning the Bible doesn't actually teach that part of the idea. But the concept of each person having an assigned angel is absolutely biblical. And I've heard people claim, oh, there's nothing biblical about the idea of a guardian angel. Wait a minute. There's all kinds of things that the world uses phrases and means something. Of course, that's not biblical. Um, but if you just define a guardian angel as an angel that guards you... <laughs> Of course that's biblical. I want you to compare Scripture to Scripture always when you hear that kind of thing. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. And uh, 
Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. Alright, if you're there, read that with me. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Now, I'm just dumb enough to take the Bible at face value. <laughs> and I've heard preachers talk around this and dance around this. Well, what's it say? It says that these little ones have angels. And that's the concept of a guardian angel. And it says that they uh, behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Um, now that gets into the concept of the angels uh, being uh, basically able to travel at the speed of thought kind of thing. And uh, it doesn't mean always as in uh, every moment of eternity. There's angels right there in front of the Father, you know, because they have assignments and they do certain things. But it's like it says, pray without ceasing. That's the kind of idea here. That they're always uh, before the Father any time that there's a need. Now, that's going into a, a world that we do not understand. Uh, we don't understand how angels function, actually. We're told they do some things, and we believe what the Bible tells us, but uh, we don't really get uh, a big picture of the angelic world. That is probably because it would blow our minds. <laughs> it's probably because we wouldn't even be able to, you know, uh, you know, wrap our minds around some of this stuff if we knew what the angelic wor world was about. But the Bible clearly says that angels minister by God's will for us. Turn over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now referring, he's referring to the angels. Read verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? That's the basic concept of what we call a guardian angel. And again, what you have to be careful of is don't be fooled by the world and Hollywood and false religion when they put their own definitions into those terms, guardian angel. But don't throw the baby out of the bathwater, as they say. There's a lot of Christians who no longer refer to the spirit-filled life because of the stuff they see on TBN and in charismatic uh, circuses. You know, they, they think, well, I don't want anything to do with that. Wait, the Bible teaches the spirit-filled life. And be not drunk with wine wearing its excess, but be filled with the spirit. That's a commandment. So don't throw the spirit-filled life out of your mind and out of your thinking, but just don't be suckered into the counterfeits. And on and on we could go with all kinds of examples of that that we've talked about. But the Bible clearly also says um, that we're not even aware when angels are in our presence. Turn over to Hebrews uh, 13. Just a few pages over. Hebrews 13. And verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 just says, Let brotherly love continue. And then read verse 2 with me. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Do you believe your Bible? Then you've had angels in your presence at times and you don't even know it. 
And uh, it's fun to kind of think back and guess at when that might have been. <laughs> um, but sometimes there's clues to tell you they're not. But other times, you know, things happen and you're like, wow, I can't wait to get to heaven and find out if that was like, you know, one of the, the angel named Fred, you know, that, that would be my angel. You guys might get Gabriel or somebody. I've got Fred or, you know, Clarence. <laughs> Every time a bell rings. I had a fellow tell me that his car broke down and he left it along the side of the road. And then uh, uh, he got a phone call from the local sheriff, a deputy, and said that, uh, why'd you leave your car? Uh, and he said, well, I could didn't have money to have it towed and I didn't have any way to fix it so I was going to come back tomorrow and he said well didn't you call anybody he said no I didn't call anybody I don't have any money to pay anybody to tow it or anything he said well I pulled up on it and there was some fella working on it and uh, then I, he said he'd have it running for you and uh, the the guy said who was it he said I don't know he said uh, he told me he'd have it running for you and that's all he told me. And so that guy then gets his car, uh, gets in the car of the friend. They drive him over. He gets in the car, starts right up. And uh, that was all there was to it. He didn't know who the guy was. The cop didn't know who the guy was. I joked. I said, that was the angel goober. <laughs> <laughs> you Andy Griffith fans yeah. can tell. So the Bible never says that we are to attempt to communicate with them, especially by some mystical means. And I have to point that out. I've actually had people contact me and, and say, you know, how do we contact our angels? How do we communicate with them? And I'm like, you do not. You know, that's, that's a, uh, these are the kind of books. I've actually seen some of these books in so-called Christian bookstores. Uh, this one's ca called a Guidebook to Angel Talk, Learning How to Communicate with Angels. The one in the middle, How to Communicate with Angels, is the title of that book. <laughs> then the one on the right, Communicate with Your Angels, A Guide for Beginners. No. <laughs> Do not contact any spirits, any kind of community. You are to pray to your Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. That's your communication into the spirit world to the Father. We are not to have any communications. We do not adore adulate or pray to or worship angels in any way shape or form I just want to uh, look at this before we move on in uh, Colossians Colossians chapter 2 verse 18 yeah Colossians 2 18 if you're there read it let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. They'll pretend it's spiritual. It's mystical. There's a difference between mystical and spiritual. Mystical is occult. Mystical is not biblical. Mystical is wrong, to put it bluntly. And no, it says, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. Don't get sucked into that. Uh, the New Age movement is full of that sort of stuff. But uh, the cults get into that um, in a big way. But a lot of the charismatic uh, crowd and a lot of the charismatic preachers that uh, are false teachers, and they'll tell you, 
Uh, I mentioned William Branham, who denied the Trinity, but is a hero of the charismatic movement. And he used to talk about an angel that he would get up and start to minister. And until he saw that angel, he couldn't do anything and wouldn't do anything. But then that angel would appear and then he would do what he did. I, who somebody said earlier, they're de they could be devils. That, that's what I think some of them are. Yes. Old as Jesus Calling, those books have a lot of New Age terminology. Jesus Calling, yeah, that's a dangerous set of books to read. A lot of mysticism. And then she it was involved in a pseudo Christian denomination, the Seventh day Adventist. And they're very, uh, they have a, a false gospel of works. So, folks, Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And so you better be very careful you get in this stuff. By the way, these are not biblical angels. Yeah. If you look at this, uh, biblical angels never said to be female. Right. So if a so-called angel shows up and has breasts, not an angel. Well, men have breasts. Not boobs. Yeah, man <laughs> boobs. No man boobs on the angels. You know, they don't show up uh, with blue jeans and big wings like that. The Bible never describes an angel like that. Or even a male like this. The Bible never talks about them exposing their nipple, you know, exposing their bodies. They, they're always clothed and in white clothing and sometimes said to glow. But any, any depiction of an angel with wings and skin... And female especially, not a biblical angel. So we say this, believe in angels, keep it biblical. Amen? Amen. Uh, by the way, it's about two years ago we did a study in Psalms on this and covered some various other things we're not going to have time to get into today. Psalm 91, I think, is the text. It was a couple of years ago. You can look that up for more of that. But let's come back to our text in Acts, chapter 12. And so... They are saying, it is his angel. Well, no, not in this case, we know one thing for sure. It's not an angel. It's Peter in the flesh. And verse 16, but Peter continued knocking. <laughs> she runs off. Hey, hey. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm messing with Momo. <laughs> And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. God has answered prayer. It's astonishing. <laughs> In verse 17, But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, he's like, alright, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, which is our previous study. He recounts how he ends up out of prison. And then he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So this is uh, a different James than the, in verse 1 of Acts 12. Uh, verse 2, it says, And he, Herod killed James, the brother of John. So the apostle James, or James of Zebedee, is dead. And um, this is the natural half-brother of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, after she was, she was a virgin, 
conceived Jesus, gave birth to him, after he was born, contrary to the Roman Catholic and Orthodox teaching on this, they deny this, but it, the Bible teaches that Mary then became a normal wife to Joseph. They had sexual relations like married couples are supposed to, and Mary had children. And the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches deny that. They'll deny that, they, that Mary, they call her, it's called the perpetual virginity of Mary. It's a totally false doctrine. And uh, so Mary had other children, and James was one of them. This James, unlike the apostle, he didn't even believe in Jesus until after his bodily resurrection. Real quick, let's run two references to see this. In John chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, I'll read while you're turning there. In verse 3, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that this that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. This is his Jesus' fleshly half-brothers, including James, that we're reading about here in Acts. And they're basically kind of mocking Jesus at this point. In verse 4, they say, they're talking to Jesus. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. In other words, they're saying, if you're for real and you're really doing miracles, then let's go up there and let's see you put on a show. That's his half-brothers, including James. Look at verse 5. Read that. For neither did his brethren believe in him. That's referring to his half-brothers who were brought into this world through Joseph and Mary. And at this point, they don't even believe in Jesus. But then, what happens by the time we start the book of Acts? Some of you recall this. Go over to Acts chapter 1. And verses 13 through 14. And I'll read 13. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, which is another James, and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. Judas Iscariot has uh, betrayed Jesus, is no longer counted among the apostles. And now read verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and married the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. So now the half-brothers of Jesus are with their mom in the upper room, which will be where Pentecost begins, the next chapter. And something's changed. What changed with Jesus' half-brothers? between John 7 and here. A thing called the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the time He's crucified, they're probably all under great conviction. They've seen enough and heard enough. But then He's crucified, and like everybody else who didn't know their Bible, Jesus' half-brothers were probably mourning the loss of their loved one, and also thinking, wow, He was a fraud. And then, after three days and three nights, up from the grave he arose. <laughs> and suddenly his brethren are saying, Wow! And they see him. And they're here with Mary, their mother, as we began the book of Acts. So the brother of Jesus is also the one who authored the book of James in your Bible. 
the half-brother, as we say. So Peter goes off to a safe place, and we turn back to the site of the prison break, back in Acts 12, verses 18-19. So now our focus shifts, and we're back to the place of the prison break. <laughs> and verse 18 says, Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? Can you imagine what it was like? Every time we have a prison break, they know he broke out, and they know how he got out, and they know he's on the loose, and there's all points bulletins out, and it's on the news. Well, that same sort of thing happened <laughs> when Peter was out, but they couldn't explain how he got out. There was no evidence of a prison break. And you remember how it happens. So to them, it seemed like he just vanished into thin air. Okay, well, look what happens in verse 19. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers. And they probably told him the story. Well, he just vanished. Not very believable, huh? Not to Herod, it's not. It says, and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. So this was standard Roman policy. That's why you know when Jesus rose from the dead and was not found in that empty tomb, the soldiers were there and it was sealed. The idea that there was some kind of scam going on is just beyond belief because of the policy of Rome that if you had you were supposed to have a prisoner and that would include a body in a tomb and it disappears you're dead but Herod himself he tucked tail and retreated in shame over this because he was trying to please the Jews he'd killed James and then imprisoned Peter and Peter has disappeared the sad fact is that these soldiers died and went to hell. Do you think of that when you read that? Do you think of that? We should think in terms of biblical truth and people are souls. When I see what's going on in Israel and all those people dying over there, including most of the Jews, it's just sad because both sides are dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ for the most part. Every once in a while there's a believer, but most of them on both sides. We could get into some very uncomfortable discussions where Christians seem to check out and pretend that they're not really Bible-believing Christians. On 9-11, preachers all over the country said when those people died in those buildings, if they weren't saved, they went to hell. And you aren't guaranteed you'll come home tomorrow when you go to work on Monday. And you could die in some terrible way that is sad, some way that just no one should ever die like that, and yet if you do die that like that without Christ, you go to hell. That's just the reality. And people don't like that. People don't like to talk in real terms. We've been talked out of speaking in clear, simple terms because people just don't want to hear it. Do it anyway. Speak plainly to people. Make sure that no matter how they feel about it, that they hear the truth. The wicked perish. The wicked go to hell. If you reject Jesus Christ, he had these, these soldiers had apostles in their midst. I'm sure heard the gospel and yet 
rejecting Christ, they went to hell. Psalm 37, 20, But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke shall they consume away. All who reject Jesus Christ have that as their future destiny. Now Peter would have led them to Christ. Our enemies can become our friends. All they have to do is hear the gospel and believe and they suddenly become your best friend. Remember that. People who might, you feel like they're like these soldiers imprisoning you. People who are enemies of yours in their own minds. Preach the gospel and pray for them because the moment they get saved, they'll be your best friend. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Nancy? Well, I feel like the liberals I've been under attack in some places, and I think what they have is they want this moral superiority in their own mind. Yeah. With rejecting the Bible, they they yeah. our morality comes from God's word. Amen. Yeah. And they, you know, they've convinced themselves it's not true. The Bible's not true. Uh, some famous author yesterday went viral on Twitter for saying the Bible's fiction and all this stuff. Of course, they have, no, they have to reject real science. They have to reject all the historical evidence. But you and I, we learn these things, we share these things, and that's all we can do and pray for them. Because there have been many people, I was one of them at one point, about 1987, 88, right in there, if you'd known me, I wasn't uh, preaching the gospel, I was denying it. I would argue with you against it. But I didn't really have a lot of evidence or anything, but I thought I was pretty well convinced until I started seeing the real evidence. And then God started working on me, and that's when I became a Christian. So, Peter would have led them to Christ, but we can only rescue the willing. Don't get discouraged by the fact that people reject the gospel when you preach it to them. You can only do what you can do. You can only rescue the willing. I'm sure Peter hated to hear those soldiers being killed. But I'm sure he also said, well, I tried. And that's all you and I can do. The question is, don't allow the world and the things of the world to get in the way of your trying. Make sure it's a priority in your life that you want to see people saved and you give out those gospel tracts. You try to have those conversations. Pray for the lost. Pray for them in your personal prayer time. I've told you, we can't take the name of every lost person everyone in this room knows and pray for them every time we get together. But when you are alone with God, you pray for the people we don't even know in your life that are lost. And watch for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Amen? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. And we thank you for helping us to understand these things about angels, about prayer, about our own nature our own sad unbelief and doubts, even as believers. Lord, thank you for your mercy, your patience, and your long-suffering. We just ask now that uh, each one of us continues in the Word, continues in our growth, closer to you, praying without ceasing, hiding your Word in our hearts, that we might not sin against thee preaching the word, in season, out of season, preaching the gospel to every creature, doing all the things that you've commanded that we do in your word, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.